with you real quickly before we get into the Word of God tonight. It's an illustration that I've used as I go around the country. You know, a lot of people believe in God. I believed in God for 43 years of my life. In my head, I believed in God, but I didn't have Him in my heart. You see, the word believe in the Bible does not just mean to intellectually believe. It means to trust. Now, I don't weigh a whole lot, but if I put all my weight on this podium, I'm trusting this podium to hold my weight. When you sat down in the chair, you sat down and you trusted that chair to hold your weight. You didn't call the guy that built the chair and ask him if it would hold you. You just trusted it and sat down. In 1859, there was a man by the name of Charles Blondin. Now, Charles Blondin was a tightrope walker, and he was crazy. And he, he did these tightrope things without a net, and they said that sometimes he would walk on the tightrope and he'd take a hibachi with him. He'd go about halfway and he'd squat down. He'd cook an egg and an omelet and stuff and eat it, and then he'd get up and he'd walk the rest of the way. He did something different every time. But on June the 30th of 1859, he put a tightrope across the Niagara Falls River. It was 1,100 feet across. If he'd have failed 160 feet to his death, and he was pushing a wheelbarrow. And as he was going from the United States side towards the Canadian side, there was a crowd of people over there, and they were all cheering him, You can do it! You can do it! We believe in you! But there was one guy who was like the head cheerleader. He was just leading the whole crowd. And Charles Blondin said the closer he got to the side, the louder the crowd got. He said, But that one guy, he thought, Man! That crowd believes I can do this, but that one dude, boy, he really believes in me. And when he stepped on dry land with his wheelbarrow, the crowd went crazy. The head cheerleader ran down there and grabbed him by the hand and said, I told him you could do it because I believed in you. He said, man, I could hear you above everybody. You really did believe in me, didn't you? He said, yes, sir. He said, well, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that I can take my wheelbarrow, turn around, and go back across the Niagara Falls River and make it to the other side. He said, of course I do. I just watched you do it. He said, but do you believe that I can do it? He said, yes, sir. He said, then get in the wheelbarrow and let's go. <laughs> that man looked at Charles Blondin and said, sir, I'm not doing that. And Charles Blondin said to him that day, then you don't really believe in me. Because if you really believed in me, you would trust me. And that's what Jesus says to you tonight. You can believe in God all your life, but until you trust Him, you don't have Him. I believed in God for 43 years, but on March the 10th of 1998, I trusted Him in my heart, and it changed my life. Just wanted to share that with you tonight. And I'm going to sing you a few songs, but I want you to open your Bibles tonight with me on our last night together to Mark chapter 2, please. Mark chapter 2. And with God's help, I want to bring you a message. And it's a question. The question is this. Are you a volunteer? Are you a volunteer for Jesus Christ? You know, there's a lot of people who are saved, but that's it. They're saved, but they're not serving Christ. God saved us so we could serve Him. And God's given all of us different gifts. 
God's given me the gift of evangelism. He's given me the gift of music. Uh, and maybe he's given you the gift of writing. Uh, maybe he's given you the, the gift of or exhortation, whatever it might be. All of us have different gifts and God wants us to use those gifts for him and for his glory. So I want you to keep that thought in your mind. Are you a volunteer? But I don't want you to answer the question until after we hear the sermon. All right. And so I want to sing a song for you talking about a volunteer. My Uncle Pete went to Vietnam. Now, his name was Gary Nelson Fry, but his nickname was Pete. And I've never under, uh, I still to this day don't know why his nickname was Pete. I have no idea. But every time he would come to our house, of course, he would come with my grandmother. So my little brother Dale nicknamed her Grandma Pete. And she was Grandma Pete till she passed away. And so after I got, uh, before I got saved, I was living in Nashville, Tennessee. And, and I wanted to write a song in honor of my uncle because I just loved him dearly. You know, the Bible says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And uh, my Uncle Pete went to Vietnam, was there for two years, and came back home safely. Then he re-enlisted and went back for another two years. And just a couple of weeks before he was supposed to come home, he stepped on a landmine and lost his life. And he wrote a letter to my grandmother because she was so upset that he went back that second tour. And in that letter, he said, Mom, I know you don't understand why I went back. But he said, there's several reasons, and I'll tell you two. He said, the first reason is there's some men over there who really need me. That's why I want to go back. Secondly, he said, I thought if I could go over there and fight in this war, my nephews, talking about me and my two brothers, Sammy, Bruce, and Dale, would never have to come to a place like this. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ laid down his life for his enemies and his friends. And so the question again is, are you a volunteer? And this is the song that God allowed me to write for my uncle. Taller than a mountain, my father's baby brother. We would all pile on him, nearly knock him off his feet. When he would take us fishing, he made us feel important. To me, there never was a bigger man than Uncle Pete. Find a note he wrote to Grandma and postmark Vietnam. He was trying to explain why he had to return. And he said, life's a gamble, but if I can save someone from going through this war, I'd fight forever if I could. So for Pete's sake, don't forget, they died for our freedom. The ones who sacrificed it all with everything at stake. When we forget to remember, just dig a little deeper. If you can't do it for yourself, then do it for Pete's sake. 
There's a picture on my wall I peed out in the jungle And a tattered flag stirring in the wind I'm Sitting there on foreign soil Working on a letter Trying to smile All he can muster was a grin Some folks give their time Others give their money Some folks only look to share the pain Some people lose their lives For something they believe in You only have to look upon the wall To find their names So for Pete's sake, don't forget They died for our freedom The ones who sacrificed it all With everything at stake When we forget to remember Just dig a little deeper If you can't do it for yourself Then do it for Pete's sake If you can't do it for yourself At least do it for Pete's sake Called him Uncle Pete, my father's baby brother. Amen. Now this next song that I want to sing for you is a song that uh, my brother and I wrote together. It's the first song that my brother Sammy and I wrote together as brothers in Christ. So it's always been dear to my heart because of that. But when I got saved, I didn't know anything about Christianity I didn't know there were Christian schools, Christian colleges, Christian music. I didn't know any of that stuff. I didn't know that uh, people had bus ministries at their churches where they go Saturday, knock on doors, invite kids to come, and then Sunday morning, pick them up, bring them to Sunday school. I had no clue about all that until I went to Shenandoah Baptist Church in Cleveland, Tennessee. That's where I was introduced to the bus ministry. And uh, once I was introduced to it, I just I couldn't get it out of my mind. And I got to thinking, I said, well, I've got a van. I could pick up some kids and take them to church with me. So I started my own little bus route there in Nashville, Tennessee. I had musician friends that had kids. I called them up on the phone. I said, hey, will you let me come pick your kids up and take them to church? Yeah, they said, yeah, come pick them up. (laughs) And I would go pick these kids up. And I was picking up some kids in a trailer park. And there was a, as I was picking up these kids to take them to church with me, a bus came around the corner picking up other kids a church bus, and so all this church bus stuff was going on. My brother Sammy had a, a a church bus ministry at his church, and he had told me about that as well. And so I started writing this song, and I called Sammy on the phone, and I said, Sammy, I started writing a song called The Captain of the Bus, and I need you to help me finish it, because I was a brand new baby Christian, and I wanted, you know, I wanted to make sure the the music was right, and the words were right, and Bible right, and all of that stuff. So Sammy and I got together. And when I would pick those kids up, I would take them to McDonald's and I'd let them run around on the playground for about an hour before I took them to church trying to get some of the energy out of them. But then I messed up and brought them pancakes and syrup. So I got them all jacked up on sugar before I took them to church. So it wasn't very bright, but I was doing the best I could. But this is the captain of the bus. Staring out the window as the rain comes pouring down My heart soars as it rounds the bend He's always right on time 
He greets me with candy and a big smile on his face. An angel on my doorstep in this ungodly place. Then he drives me to Sunday school where they teach about God's grace. Well, I learned that I'm a sinner, but I don't have to die that way. Cause Jesus shed his blood for me on Calvary one day. When it's time to go back home, I'm wishing I could stay. But my Lord will protect me as I trust Him and obey. For my Savior lives within me. I was lost, but now I'm saved. I thank God that Jesus died for little kids like us. In His wisdom, He had planned someone who cared enough. A tender heart, soft-spoken and gentle with His touch. Thank You, Lord, for sending me the captain of the bus. Well, I still remember singing Jesus loves me, this I know. So grateful for the peace I've found and the joy that fills my soul. So if you're lost and searching, confused and all alone, the shepherd came to give you life if only Our Father sends His servants to make His presence known. I thank God that Jesus died for little kids like us. In His wisdom He had planned someone who cared enough. A tender heart soft spoken gentle with his touch thank you lord for sending me the captain of the bus and thank you lord for jesus the captain of the bus Amen. Well, here in the Bible in Mark chapter 2, we kind of find the very first bus ministry in the Bible. Now, these fellows didn't have a bus, but they used what they had. And they were four volunteers who took their friend to Jesus Christ. I want to read uh, the first part of this, and I want to emphasize some words, and then we'll pray. The Bible says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. 
And when they could not come nigh to him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Another title for this message could be, They did all they could do, so Jesus could do all he wanted to do in the life of this one young man. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I pray that you'll bless the reading of your word and the preaching of this simple message tonight about being a volunteer. And Father, I know there are saved people here. I know there may be some that are here that are not sure if they're saved. I pray that you would save those who are lost. And Father, I pray that you would speak to those who are saved about being a volunteer for Jesus Christ. I can understand a person who's not saved, not wanting to do anything for the cause of Christ. But Lord, it breaks my heart to know that there are some people who are saved, but they're still not doing anything for the cause of Christ. May nobody leave here tonight not willing to be a volunteer for the Lord Jesus Christ. And for your honor and for your glory, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. There was a a big church in this country one time, and they had a big bus ministry there. And the pastor was in the hallway, walking down the hallway, and one of the little bus kids was walking behind him. And he said this to the pastor. He said, hey, mister. And the pastor stopped and he turned around. He said, are you talking to me, son? He said, yes, sir. He said, are you God? And the pastor said, no, son, no, I'm not God. I'm I'm the pastor of the church. And tears started coming down that little boy's face. And he said, well, I thought this might be heaven. So I thought you might be God. No telling where that little boy lived and what he had to go through in his life. But there's some little kids out there in this town, who needs somebody to come and get them and bring them to the house of God. God needs some volunteers. I have a friend of mine. Uh, <clears throat> I say that lightly because he, he's a mess. His name is Dean Dees. I call him Double D. And if I, seen D, if I see Dean Dees riding down the road, I'm coming this way, he's coming the other direction. If he sees me, he, t- he takes his hand off the wheel and he goes like this. He's always thinking about the rapture, always thinking about Jesus coming to get us out of here. If you call him on the phone, he doesn't say hello. He says, he's coming. He's coming again. He's just excited about Jesus coming back. And uh, one day, Dean Dees... Uh, and I, I had just gotten saved. I had moved from uh, Nashville, Tennessee back to North Carolina. I started going to my brother's church there. And I said, well, uh, God's given me the talent to sing, so I, I want to use my talent for Him. So I joined the choir. Now, I'm not a good choir singer because I can't read music. I hear music, but I can't read not one note of it. Guess who's standing beside me in the choir? My friend, Dean Dees. Double D. And I told him, I said, Dean, I said, these notes on this page don't mean anything to me. Because I can't read music. So I'm listening to you. And if you go off key, I'm going to go off with you. So you stay right in there, boy. All right? You know, got you. Now, there's times in the choir when the men are not supposed to sing and the women do sing. Now, I didn't know anything about that. He knew I didn't know anything about that. So when it came time for that to happen, he would go. And I'd be singing with the women in the choir. My friend threw me up under the bus right there. 
And so uh, one day Dean called me on the phone and he said, hey, Bruce, he said, I'm having a little afternoon brunch at my house on Saturday and love for you and your wife to come. And I said, well, yeah, I think we could do that, Dean. That'd be great. And so Saturday came, my wife and I were getting ready to go over to Dean's house and he called me on the phone. He said, have you left your house yet? And I said, no, I'm getting ready to. He said, hey, could you bring your guitar? He said, I've invited some of my neighbors. They don't know Christ as their Savior. And I thought maybe you could sing a few songs, do a little devotion, share the gospel. And I said, okay, I'll be glad to do that. And so on the way over there, I just told my wife, I said, honey, why don't you drive and I'm going to open the Bible and see what God will give me for my friend Dean D's on the way to his house. God gave me 12 D's for Dean D's that day. I'm going to share those with you and don't get scared. It's not 12 points, okay? And I'm going to run through this real quick. So look back at your Bibles and it says, again, he entered into Capernaum. So first of all, there was a destination. That's the first D I saw. And after some days, it was noise that he was in the house. So there was a dwelling place. And then verse 3, it says, They come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy. So there was a disease. You know we all have a disease. That disease is called sin, and it needs to be covered by the blood of Christ, right? And then it says, Which was born of four. So there were four men. Now you can find this uh, story also in the book of Matthew in chapter 9 and uh, Luke chapter 5. But I like this version here, but that's where you find there was four men. Not saying women can't do anything in the church. Be honest with you, a lot of our ch churches that I go, the women are doing more than the men are, and we ought to be ashamed about that because we're supposed to be the leaders and we're supposed to be doing things you know, more than that. But anyway... Uh, let me get off track here. So we see a destination, we see a dwelling place, we see a disease, and we see these four determined men. That was the first four D's I saw. But in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, and when I first read this, you know, I thought, man, Jesus honored them because they brought their friend to him. They He honored them by saving their friend. And I believe that's true. But it was not just the four that had to have faith. The one on the cot had to have faith to be saved. You know, the thing about it is, is Jesus was more interested in saving his soul than he was in healing his legs. He was sick of the palsy. And so there was a decision. That's what we see in verse 5. Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And then as we continue reading in verses 6 and 7, we see the doubting scribes. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? See, they thought Jesus was a great man. They thought he was a prophet, but they didn't believe that he was God in the flesh. And so they were doubting scribes. And then in verses 8 and 9, we see deity. And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your hearts? See, Jesus is God. He knew exactly what they were thinking. He knows exactly what you're thinking tonight. He knows exactly what's in your heart. Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. See, he's proving his deity, that Jesus Christ is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. And then verse number 10, we see his dynamic power. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy. And in verse 11, we see a direct command. I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, go thy way into thine house. And then in verse 12, we see direct obedience. And immediately he arose, 
took up the bed, went before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, Woo! I put that in there. We never saw it on this fashion. We've never seen anything like this. It was a miracle that happened. So we see a destination, a dwelling place, a disease, determined men, a decision, doubting scribes, deity, dynamic power, direct command, direct obedience. And as I study this and I meditate on it, I saw a couple more double D's in here. The moment that young man trusted Christ as his Savior, it was a done deal and a defeated devil. The moment you trust Christ as your Savior, God says that you're eternally secure and that the devil cannot have your soul. But you know what the devil wants you to do or wants to do to you? He wants to keep you from being a volunteer for Jesus Christ. Think about these guys. They were so determined. When they got there to this house, the Bible here says the house was full of people they couldn't get in. Now they could have said this. Well, man, I guess today's not today. I guess we'll have to come back another day. It's not going to work. They were so determined, they went on top of the house, started removing the tiles, and started lowering their friend to Jesus. Can you imagine all of a sudden if a saw's all started cutting a hole in the roof? I think I'd have to stop preaching and back up, make sure nothing hit me in the head, right? There's only two times in the Bible where a sinner came down and Jesus looked up. This story is Zacchaeus in the tree. And so here it is. Just imagine this thing. All of a sudden, Jesus is preaching. The place is packed full of people. And all of a sudden, these four men start lowering their friend. Now, I saw a beautiful picture of repentance here. Not one time in any of these passages of Scripture do you hear the man on the cot say, Wait a minute, guys. This is embarrassing. Everybody's staring at me. He didn't care what anybody thought. He wanted to meet Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. I wonder, I wonder who those four guys were. Obviously, Jesus had touched their lives somewhere along the way. I want to do an illustration tonight, and I need five little volunteers, some boys. I need five little boys to come. All right, come on, buddy. Quick. You can come. Great. There's two, there's three, I need two more. There's four, I need one more volunteer. Hey, thank you. All right, can I get one more? I need one more, this is not going to work. All right, there we go. Thank you, buddy. All right, I want you back here. I want you there, I want you to go back there. All right, what's your name again? Joel. John. John? Joel. Joel. Okay. My ears aren't good. I'm an old man. All right, I want you to sit down for a second. Hey, Joel. Huh? Hey, Joel. Do you uh, trust me? <laughs> I don't blame you. You don't know me that All right, now I want you to lay down, okay? I promise I'm not going to hurt you, okay, buddy? Tell you what, let's slide you this way a little bit. All right. Them some messed up legs right there, boy. <laughs> now, the, the Bible says he's sick of the palsy. That means he's lame in his legs. He cannot walk, okay? All right, so here he is. He's heard about Jesus, but he can't get to Jesus unless somebody helps him. He needs some volunteers. So this first, first guy that comes, he said, hey, 
He said, what's going on here? And he tells him his deal here. And he went, you know what? I met Jesus one day. He said, I was standing on the side of the road and I heard he was coming by, but I couldn't see him because I was blind. I mean, I couldn't see anything. He said, my name is Bartimaeus. They called me Blind Bartimaeus. That's what they called me. And when, that, when he was coming by, I couldn't see him, but I could hear the crowd and I knew he was there. So I said, oh, son of David, have mercy on me. And they told me to be quiet. But I yelled out again, oh, son of David, have mercy on me. And you know what Jesus did? He touched my eyes and healed my eyes and I can see. So I'll be glad. Step over him. Don't hurt his legs. He's hurt enough. All right. So I'll be glad to grab one side of this cot and take you to Jesus. But he can't do it by himself. He still needs some help. So then this guy comes up. He hears what's going on here. He said, oh, let me tell you my story. He said, I was in the temple one day. I had a withered hand. It was all knotted up. I couldn't hold a hammer. I couldn't write with a pencil. I couldn't pick my nose. I couldn't do anything. That hand was so messed up. But in the temple that day, Jesus was going to show that He was the God of the Sabbath, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, any day, and He healed my hand. So I'll be glad to take this other corner. So you step over His head. Don't hurt Him. All right. So I'll be glad to grab this side. Now they're all there, and then here comes this guy. And he said, oh, let me tell you my story. He said, man... He said, me and nine of my friends were lepers. In the Bible, leprosy was a picture of sin. Leprosy was like having a coronavirus. Don't get close to me. You don't want none of this, you know. And so he said, I, I, I was a leper. My skin was all messed up. And, and by law, in that day, if you were a leper, you had to cup your hand over your mouth and say, I'm unclean. Don't get near me. I'm unclean. You don't want this. But I can get this close to you because Jesus healed me from my head to my feet. He, as a matter of fact, He healed all ten of us. But this is the only one that turned around to give thanks unto God. And Jesus said, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Listen to the heartbeat of Jesus. Where's the other nine? See, Jesus wanted to save them all. Ten got healed, but only this one got saved. He said, I'll be glad to take one side of the cot and take it there. Now, they're sitting here looking at him, and they're looking at his legs, and all of a sudden they say, well, I know he healed my leprosy, I know he healed my hand, I know he healed my blindness, but I've never seen legs that twisted and knotted up. And if they start doubting at all, then this guy comes up and says, why in the world would you doubt our Savior? My name's Lazarus. I was in the grave for four days. He called my name, I came forth, and if he can do that, he said, this will be nothing for him. Let's stop doubting. Let's get determined. Let's take our friend to Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what they did. How about a hand for my volunteers? All right. Wait a minute, buddy. I hadn't healed you yet. Go on. I'm just picking this. <laughs> Thank you for helping me, guys. Hey, when the service is over, I want you all to come and I want to give you a free CD tonight for being a volunteer. All right. You see, when you volunteer for Jesus... Sometimes you get rewarded here, and if you don't get rewarded here, as we talked about the other night, you'll get rewarded there at the judgment seat of Christ. Amen? So here they are, and God saved this man, and after He saves him, then He heals him, and these were willing volunteers because of what Christ had done in their life. Are you a willing volunteer? You ought to be. Nobody should have to ask you to do something for the cause of Christ. There should be a desire in your heart to be a willing volunteer for Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been 
an unwilling volunteer. Have you ever had to do something that you didn't want to do, but you're the only one there, and so you did it? Most of us have. Well, that happened to me years ago when I first started out playing music. I had a van, and uh, my roommate was a carpenter, so he built me a bed inside that van with the room under the bed. That's where I put all my music equipment. And uh, I wasn't making enough money to sleep in hotels and stuff like that, so I would sleep in my van, either under a, a bridge or in a parking lot or a campground or whatever as I was traveling. And I was doing the East Coast tour from North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. And so I started out in North Carolina, and then I'd been there for several weeks, and then I, I left there and I went to South Carolina, and when I got to South Carolina, I was in Hilton Head, South Carolina. After I set my equipment up for my show, I went down to the beach and I took a blanket down there and I, I laid it out on the blanket. I wanted to get a little rest. I was tired from driving. Plus, I wanted to get a little sun, you know, look good on stage and all that. I was so full of myself. And so here we are. I was so tired that I fell asleep. And I got red lobster burnt. And I was so tired that I turned over in my sleep and got burnt on both sides. Now, when you get burnt like that, you almost feel like you have the flu. I mean, you have the chills and all that stuff. I was sleeping in my van in a campground that night. It was 80 degrees at night, and I had on sweatpants, sweatshirt. I was freezing to death. I was so sick. And so I was there for or four days, and uh, when I got on the stage, you know, I had a glow on me. It wasn't the glory of God. I can tell you that. I was just, people were walking by. I said, man, you are burnt up. And I was, just, it was just miserable. I mean, I was do, trying to do my job and entertain best I could. And then when I left there, I was heading to Warner Robins, Georgia. The guy that owned the club there told me that I could stay at his house because he lived by himself. And I was looking forward to not having to sleep in my van. And when I was driving there, of course, I didn't know the Lord as my Savior, so I wasn't praying I wouldn't have a good crowd. But in my heart, I was hoping I didn't have a big crowd because I didn't feel like entertaining anybody. I was just so sick. And when I got there, um, there was only about 10 people in the whole place. The guy that owned the club was bartending, and there were, the, the rest of the guys were over here you know, having a dart tournament. I'm over here playing to the wall. It was like what I called the human radio gig. You know, I, di I didn't have to talk to anybody, I didn't have, to, which was good because I just didn't feel good. And I just went through the motions and got through the night. But as I was watching, not only was this guy serving those guys drinks, he was also drinking himself. And I was thinking, man, this guy's not going to be in any shape to drive home. And so after the night was over and he was closing up and I said, hey, look, man, I said, I've been watching you. And I said, you probably shouldn't be driving tonight. And he said, yeah, probably right. And I said, well, since I'm staying at your house, why don't you just leave your car here and ride with me? And he said, yeah, it'd be great. He said, but I need to make a phone call. You got a minute? And I said, sure, go ahead. So we went over and he got on the phone. And all of a sudden he put his hand over the receiver and he said, Bruce, come here. This is my wife. I want you to talk to her. My first thought was, I don't know your wife, and I don't want to talk to your wife. And he said, please, come and talk to her. So I got on the phone with this lady, and she said, look, it's my husband's weekend to have the kids. But I want to make sure that he's not driving, because I can tell he's been drinking a lot. And I said, yes, ma'am, he doesn't need to be driving, and he doesn't need to be around any kids either. And she said, no, I'm not worried about him hurting our kids. I just want to make sure he's not driving. I said, no, ma'am, I'm driving. And then she hung up. I went, oh man, are you kidding me? And here I am, an unwilling volunteer. I don't want any part of this situation. So I drive him over to their house. We get there, it's about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. Pick up these three kids. Now, one of them was like 
three years old, one of them was five years old, and then there was a little baby girl in diapers. And we got these kids, took them to his house. When we got there, he said, Bruce, come help me get my kids in the bed. And I said, you're kidding, right? I don't want any part of this deal. I'm an unwilling volunteer. So went in there, and he had a big water bed, and he put the two older kids in the water bed. He put a blanket on the floor and laid that little baby girl on the blanket. Now, I didn't know a lot about babies and stuff, but I thought that's kind of weird. And I, I looked at him, and I said, she sleeps on the floor? He said, yep, that's what we do. And I said, all right, this is your deal. I'm done, man. And I was getting ready to walk out, and he went, hey. He said, Bruce, go get your guitar and sing my kids a song. I said, man, it's about 4 o'clock in the morning. Are you crazy? The only kid song that I knew back then was a song called Winnie the Pooh. And so I did the Winnie, Christopher Robin, Winnie the Pooh song, sang it. And as I was walking out the door, I looked back and I saw that little girl on the floor and it just broke my heart. But I said, you know, this is his deal. I'm done. I've done all the volunteering I'm going to do for the night. I'm done. And I went into the bedroom right across the hall where I was staying lay down on the bed, and I'm getting ready to go out. I'm sick. I don't feel good. And all of a sudden, that little baby girl started crying. And I mean not just a little bit. Boy, she had some lungs on her. And I thought, well, he'll take care of this. He's the dad. But guess what? Dad's passed out. I Finally, I couldn't stand anymore, so I got out of my bed, walked to his room, uh, cracked open the door, and I went, Hey! Your baby's crying. You need to take care of her. I'm yelling, she's screaming, he's sleeping. I don't know if you ever saw the Andy Griffith show when Barney was sleeping and Andy tried to wake him up to go visit the darlings and stuff and he couldn't get... That was this guy. I Finally, I went over and got right in his ear and I said, Dude, you need to get up and fix your baby. She needs you. Nothing. I pushed him like that in the waterbed. I thought the other kids were going to fly out the other side. I couldn't get him up. And so I said, Well, I got to do something. This is how bright I was. I walked over and I looked at that little girl and I said, what's the matter with you? <laughs> of course, she can't even talk, right? So I said, well, i got to do something. So I reached down and I picked her up. And when I picked her up, the aroma hit me. I went, good night. How could anything so small smell so bad? What in the world? Now, at that time in my life, I had never thought about changing a diaper. I never dreamed about changing a diaper. It just was not on my radar. But I have to do something. So I took her in the kitchen. I laid her down. And when I started pulling that diaper off, boy, then it hit me. I went, oh, I didn't think I was going to make it. I got the diaper off, cleaned her up. I turned the faucet on, stuck her little hiney up under there, washed her off real good, got her all cleaned up, got a new diaper on her. And I said, okay, honey. I said, you're all cleaned up. It's time to go to bed. So I went back in there and I was going to lay her down on the blanket and she started crying. My first thought was, please tell me you didn't do that again. Oh man, I don't want to have to go through that. And so I was holding her and I said, what's wrong with you? I mean, it's five o'clock in the morning. What in the world? I heard babies like to eat and I said, well, maybe she's hungry. So I went back in the kitchen. She ate two of those little jars of Gerber baby food. She was starving to death. And after she ate that, I heard, well, you're supposed to burp them or something. So I shook her a little bit. You know, she burped. Then I took her back in there. I said, all right. I said, you're fed up. You're cleaned up. And I'm fed up with you. It's time to go to bed. But every time I'd go to lay her down, she would cry. As long as I was holding her, she was fine. And so I'm walking around and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I'm seeing the headlines. Country music singer falls on baby, kills her dead, spends his life in jail, you know. I said, oh man, I got to do something. So I opened the door to his room. 
I opened the door to my room. I laid down in the bed and I laid that little girl on my chest and we went to sleep. And when I woke up the next morning, she had her hands on my chest, her head was sticking up and her tongue was sticking out. (laughs) Staring at me. And I woke up and I went, good morning. And we bonded. We were buddies. I started preaching this message around the country and I started thinking, I wonder where she is. I wonder if the family ever got back together. I wonder if they know Jesus. So I started making some calls and they had, the whole family had moved to another part of Atlanta and he had left that business and everything. And I, I called the number. I finally got a number and called it and a young girl answered the phone. And I said, is your daddy home? She said, yes, sir, I'll get him for you. She was very polite. When I got him on the phone, I said, John, I don't know if you even remember me. I only played your club one time. I stayed at your house. I changed your daughter's diaper. I said, do you remember all that? And he went, yes, I remember that. He said, Bruce, it's good to hear from you. I said, well, John, I gave my heart to Christ. I'm, I'm an evangelist preacher. I'm going around the country, and I'm sharing this illustration about changing your daughter's diaper. And, and I said, I need to ask you a question, buddy. I said, have, have you ever been saved? Have you ever been born again? He said, Bruce, I got right with God two years ago. He told me the church he was going to. And he said, hey, that was her that answered the phone. She was 15 years old when I made that phone call. He said, you want to talk to her? And I said, sure. I got on the phone with her. And I asked her the same question. And she said, I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. I said, oh, that's wonderful. So I told her, I said, look, I'm going around the country. I'm telling the story about changing a diaper. I hope you don't mind. And she said, as long as you don't tell them my name, I don't care. <laughs> I let it slip out one time. But you know what? I was an unwilling volunteer. I really didn't want to be there. I didn't want to do it. But I believe God knew, even as lost as I was, I had enough character to take care of that little girl that night. And I thank God for that memory. I hate the family didn't get back together. But praise the Lord, he got saved. His daughter got saved. Are you a willing volunteer? You should be. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you should be. You know why some people are not? Because they know in their head, they know they should be, but it's never reached their heart. A preacher friend of mine shared this illustration with me, and I'll end with this. It was a true story. There were two men up on this balcony in Florida. There's a causeway out there, and the boats were going up and down. They were just standing out there smoking a cigarette, watching the boats. And all of a sudden, one of those boats came by. It was like a speedboat. You ever seen those ones that barely touched the water? Well, it was one of those. But he was going so fast, and there was a bridge here. There were rocks on one side of the bridge, rocks on the other side. And one of those guys looked and said, if that guy doesn't slow down, when he gets to that bridge, he's going to be in big trouble. And the other guy said, he sure is. And about that time, that boat went airborne, turned upside down. And the guy that was driving it flew out and landed on the left side of the rocks beside the bridge. The boat landed on the other side and blew up into a million pieces. These guys are watching the man. It was like a movie. And they ran down the steps and ran over to the bridge and looked over. The boat's burning over here. And the one guy's over here, his head's against the rocks, the blood coming out. One guy looked at his friend and he went, that guy's hurt and he needs some help. The other guy said, yeah, but I'm not a doctor. What can I do? And he said, yeah, me neither. And he didn't do anything. 
Now, there were other people there that saw this thing happen. Somebody had presence of mind to call an ambulance. All of a sudden, the sirens started going. And the two guys were up there, and one guy said, Hey, here come the professionals. They'll save this guy. And one guy said, I don't know. He's lost a lot of blood. They might not even get here in time. He said, Yeah, what you going to do? They didn't do anything. And when the ambulance pulled up, the medic got out and ran down the hill. And one guy looked at the other and he said, Hey, man, he's a professional. He'll, he'll save this guy. And he said, I don't know, man. He's lost a lot of blood. He said, Well, what you going to do? And about that time, that medic rolled that guy over. And when he did, one of those two men on the bridge went, Oh, no, that's my brother. Somebody do something. Why? Because it went from his head to his heart. And then he was ready to take action. We know people out there need Christ. We see them every day. We walk by them every day. And we don't say a word to them. I'm not saying you have to witness to every person you meet. I'm not saying that. But God sometimes will give you divine appointments. And you either take it as that, or you don't see it at all. Because your heart's not in it. Just like if you pull up to get gas and somebody pulls up on the other side, is that an accident? Or a divine appointment. You know, you can put the little clip on there. The gas will pump itself and you walk over there. Hey, I sure would like you to come to Grace Baptist Church and hand them a gospel track. They may take it. They might not take it. But guess what? You can give it and see what God does. I want to make this very personal to you. I want you to imagine in your mind that you were the medic that went down the hill to help this guy. And when you turned him over in his bloodied state, he reached up and grabbed you by the coat and said this to you. I feel like I'm going to die. And you look at him and say, hey, I'm going to do everything I can to save your life. What if he said this to you? I'm scared to die. I don't know where I'd go if I died. Can you help me? You wouldn't have time to go get your Bible. You wouldn't have time to call the preacher. All you would have time to do is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the Bible says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Have you memorized the Scriptures to lead somebody to Christ in a situation like that? Or would you watch them die and go to hell right there in your arms? Are you a volunteer? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Every head bowed and every eye closed.